0: This is episode 115 with Laura Adler. Welcome to the Pursuit of Happiness podcast. I am your host, Brian McGuire. And if you are in pursuit of your own happiness, this is the podcast for you. Join me along my own journey in finding happiness as I cover topics such as health, wellness, mindset, travel, adventure, dating, relationships, and so much more as I interview some of the most passionate and successful people in the world. And I have a doozy for you today with Laura Adler, a certified holistic health coach, a self-educated environmental toxins expert, and a member of the Naturopathic Association of Environmental Medicine and the American Holistic Health Association. So it goes without saying, she brings the knowledge on this episode. She actually teaches other health coaches, nutritionists, and other holistic health practitioners to become experts in everyday toxic exposures. And yep, you heard that right, every day. So this podcast literally is something you can learn so much from because every single day, Each and every one of us, no matter who you are or where you live, is somehow some way affected by these environmental toxins. So we get into a discussion about some of these big businesses and their policies about chemicals and toxins they're putting into things. And sometimes that just feels like a mountain that's too big to climb. But if we all climb it together, we can do this and we can start to make a difference. And for those people who are looking to get more knowledge of what they can do every single day, small little things add up. Laura gives some great advice of just easy things you can do around the house, things that are very cost effective, as well as talking about products that we use every day like toothpaste and shampoo and deodorant. Unless you are completely aware of what you're using and what's in it, there's a great chance that these things have toxins and chemicals in it that are just harmful to us. And oh yeah, I haven't even mentioned the number one culprit. Air fresheners and scented candles that so many millions of us have around their house that I use every single day. Find out from Laura how they are the number one culprit that each of us deal with on a daily basis. We also discuss chemicals in food and also storing food in plastics and how that's a big no-no. But I don't want to give away too much here in this intro. You have a great podcast heading your way with so much information that you can use, like I said, every single day. This is a game changer. This is a life changer. Not just for you, but your family and everyone in your household. And please share this episode with everyone you know because we can all benefit from this information seriously god knows how many health problems either you or someone you know has because of these toxins that we are dealing with every day it's honestly kind of frustrating but laura does a great job to help us break through and make a difference in all of our lives so like i said please share this episode leave a review and without further ado, here is Laura Adler. All right, Laura, welcome to the podcast. I am super excited to have you. This is um this is a kind of a scary one for me what we're gonna uncover here, but it's it's Definitely a necessity not too, not too scary,
1: yeah, not too scary.
0: Uh, I am really excited because this is the stuff that I really want to know about. I think a lot of people want to know about. I think a lot of people don't even know they need to know about this. And I have your intro right here and I I can read it, but I think you're going to do a better job introducing yourself. So please tell people who you are.
1: Um, yeah, my name is Laura Adler. I am an environmental toxins expert and educator, science communicator, um, and I, uh, my business really helps to support um, health professionals, individuals with health-based businesses, really understand the links between environmental chemical exposures in our daily lives um, and how those um, exposures uh, can be linked to serious chronic health issues and what people can start doing to address those exposures in the places that are possible. Mm. And it's not possible everywhere,
0: yeah, it's and it's everywhere. Um, just looking at your Instagram and your website, like you do stuff with like foods, drinks, chemicals, like cleaners, and stuff around the house. and yeah. I can't imagine how many other things, environmental, like all that stuff. It's like yeah. so you do everything, which is awesome. Um, I like I said before, I have a lot of questions for you. Uh, I don't even know where to start, but I think one of the first things I want to ask you is, do you know too much? Like, are you able to enjoy things?
1: So, <laughs> so I have been. <laughs> it's so funny that you just said that because yesterday I was laughing with one of my team members um, because we joke about this all the time. And I've been saying this as a joke, I don't actually take this that seriously. Um, uh, but I, uh, I say um, that sometimes it feels like I know too much to live in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, I, I know a lot of things. And I think that um, the thing that does make it easy for me to live in the world, or maybe not easy, right? I don't think anybody ask anybody, if it's mm-hmm. easy to live in the world, and everyone is going to say a little <laughs> bit of no. But Um, Is that it's really about um, um, scale, it's about context, um, and it's about doing the best that we can in an imperfect um, world with imperfect options. Um, It's just doing the best that we can and and keeping in mind that the stress and anxiety that can come from knowing all this stuff um, can also be harmful, right? Stress contributes to like 80% of chronic disease, and so it's not helpful For um, people to have anxiety about this stuff, to panic about this stuff, I think that if we take the sort of very calm and measured approach to going, okay, well, what's the problem? Mm -hmm. Um, Are there alternatives? How accessible are those alternatives? Whether it's a product change or a behavior change or habit change, can I do those things? And if I can, let's try to do those things to the best of our abilities. And that's kind of how I navigate this space. Um and then on the other side, because I think because this topic is stressful and overwhelming, um, is that I try to inject as much humor as I can into the dialogue to make it less less so. Um and so I have also joked for at least the last eight or nine years that I need to have t-shirts or mugs or something printed that says Laura ruins everything. <laughs> <laughs> because I can. It is a superpower. I take uh, I take that very seriously. Anything anybody fun is doing, I could, if I wanted, wield that power and burst that bubble. I usually in my real life do not actually do that because no one wants a buzzkill, but <laughs> it is a superpower that I have.
0: You should uh copyright that. That should be your new Instagram and and Laura everything. ruins everything. 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 Yeah. Well,
1: that that's... guy from that TV show Adam Ruins Everything, right. he already, he's already doing that. So, I don't want to step on his toes. But
0: Understood. Understood. I just had like visions. Like strolling down the aisles of a grocery store with you and being like, what about this? No, that has this in it. what about that? <laughs> no, that has that. If I knew all that stuff, I would really have a hard time saying, forget it. I'm just going to buy it and bring it into my house and surround my family with it. I don't know. I would have a hard time with that. Maybe after a while you just kind of give up because so many things that we have in our daily lives just have some toxins and chemicals in it and you can't get around it. But
1: can't get around all of it. I think that what what where the real skill is in learning about this, and this takes time, and it takes having a breadth of education and information at at your disposal, is learning to triage, right? Not everything is a four alarm fire. And when people start learning about these things, especially when you know everybody's talking about it using these terms, toxic chemical, environmental toxin, like there is no. Um, distinguish, distinguishing happening between which one is more concerning or less concerning. Um, You know, the most common response I give, and this is the most common response I've given for the last decade in doing this work to any question that I receive is it depends. There's Hmm. hundreds of variables for any given situation that will render something more concerning or less concerning. And it's all about the context of an individual their life their lifestyle their health issues what their financial resources are what their geographic resources are there's so many different variables and so the answer is always it depends mm. right and it's usually followed by a litany of me asking clarifying questions to understand what is the what's what is the the what are the resources that are available so that i'm not making blanket recommendations that are inaccessible to people mm. um or, you know, I, and, and this comes up very often in this conversation about toxic chemicals and consumer products, because if people are learning, oh, my God, there's flame retardants in my couch and flame retardants are so toxic. What do I do? Do I have to throw out my couch? Like That becomes a very overwhelming and frankly, privileged conversation because the vast majority of people can't just like ditch their couch and go buy a new one. So there has to be a measured approach to this conversation, um, because there's so many different variables
0: it's also paralyzing, I imagine Andy, too yes. yeah, yeah, would be me. I'm an overthinker sometimes and yeah sometimes it's best just not to know. so maybe this maybe we should end this conversation oh yeah, sure. right
1: uh, yeah, it's fine. everything's fine. <laughs> don't look behind the curtain don't it's fine. everything is fine
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, I like to make informed decisions, you know it's yes. one of those things where as as long as I know I can make the decision that I' that I'm I can live with. Um...
1: Well, and that's the thing is, is, again, being able to triage right to say, mm-hmm. this decision isn't weighted as heavily as say this decision. And therefore I get to give myself a little bit more allowance. Or maybe if I can't avoid this certain exposure, are there other things that I can do to kind of offset the potential harm that might be present there. Are there things nutritionally I can do? Um, are there lifestyle behaviors that I can adopt that maybe can help my body become a little bit more resilient hmm. in the face of exposures that we can't avoid? And the reality is that there are so many chemicals. I mean, there's over 150,000 chemicals um, worldwide that are, you know, chemicals or chemical mixtures that are ma- registered for use or manufacturing or distribution or whatever. Worldwide, the vast majority of those have never been assessed for safety um, with any degree of scrutiny that's meaningful. And many of these chemicals are very long lived. They're very persistent in the environment, in our bodies when they get in our bodies. um, And they are ubiquitous in the environment. There is no place on the planet that doesn't have exposures. You can go to the most remote corners of the Antarctic um, and find. you know, ex- uh, toxic chemicals in permafrost. You can find, you know, polar bears have flame retardants in their blood and adipose tissue, not because they're hanging around places where industrial manufacturing of flame retardants are found, but but because these chemicals are mobilized in air and air currents, and that's they just move around the globe. And so this is part of the okay. Well, we can't change that what can we change what can we advocate for um what can we do as individuals what can we do collectively as a society so there's lots of different aspects to this conversation i you know i it, i'll never get bored in this space because this topic is not just about toxic chemical a and health effect b and individual exposure. See, it's about politics. It's about race. Mm-hmm. It's about environmental justice. It's about climate change. Like, it is really about all of these different things. And so, there's so many different stones to uncover um, and things to learn. And as somebody who is a self-proclaimed nerd who loves learning, you know, I'll I'll never tire of things to learn about in this in the space.
0: Yeah. As you were saying that, it reminded me of a story probably about 20 years ago, maybe a little more, 25 years ago or so. Um, If you ever heard of this, I consider looking into this. So I grew up in the Binghamton, New York area, which is the home of IBM. Mm -hmm. So IBM started there. And I don't know when it was, 70s, 80s. I don't know when it was. They dumped a lot of pollutants and chemicals into the Susquehanna River Mm -hmm. and I grew up with people that actually developed tumors and cancers for drinking the water around that area. One of them I became like decently good friends with, She actually lives down here in North Carolina. Now it was, it got to be so big of a thing that Aaron Brockovich like took the case and everything. Um, It was a really big deal. I, I still don't necessarily know how that ever played out because, you know, IBM's just loaded with all that cash and the best of the best lawyers and, it was delay after delay after delay. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've heard of that story. But... Uh, I
1: mean, there's unfortunately I, I don't know that specific one, but there are hundreds and hundreds of instances um, like this around the country and, and certainly around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is part of the the problem where we get into public policy and money in government and money in politics and corporations in politics, because we have all of these corporations, these industries that are lobbying so, so hard to keep regulations down, to keep um, environmental uh, regulations at a minimum so they can keep doing what they're doing. And so there's, like I said, there's so many layers. That's just one of the layers um, to it. And there's all these efforts across all these different industries to really push back against regulation so that they can just keep doing what they're doing, and mm-hmm. and it's very you know short sighted, uh, which is you know uh, <laughs> how uh, capitalism works, right? Right? We are is very short sighted, and so yeah, sure the core you know heads of CEOs et cetera of these co- companies are making lots of dollars, um, but they're doing it on the backs of the future generations of people that are going to have to deal with the consequences of. What they've done to make that money and we are dealing with that now we are dealing in this generation right now with the mistakes of decades past right this is what we're dealing with with pfas chemicals which i'm you know sure people have heard i'm happy to talk at length about those if that's helpful but these pfas these perfluoral alkyl um substances that are ubiquitous um, in our environment, that are used in tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of uh, manufacturing applications around the world, um, and you know we had manufacturers like 3M and DuPont that knew about health risks from the 1950s when they were monitoring their employees and finding you know uh, uh, increased risks of cancer, increased cancer rates in their employees, but then they just didn't tell anybody. Right. Because they wanted to continue making money. And now we have 99 percent of the population, at least here in the U.S., this is probably globally, um, has these uh, compounds in their in our bodies. So like we all have them. And it's a it's a hole that we will be digging our way out of for decades upon decades.
0: Well, fortunately, we're gonna to touch on some subjects that we can actually change yes. and control, which I'm excited about. But real quick, I just wanted to know how did you get into this?
1: Um, so it's it's kind of a funny story. Um, I I mean, I think it's funny. I don't know if your listeners will think <laughs> it's funny. Um, so you know, I was a nerd in high school. I was always interested in food and nutrition and whatever, but I didn't really pursue anything professionally. I went a different career a different direction with my career. Um, but kind of roundabout ended up coming back into this like nerdy nutrition, wellness, health space, um, you know, uh, many years after college after working in this other industry um, and was like, oh, health coaching is a, looks like a cool fun opportunity for me to kind of hang my own shingle, be my own boss and also flex this nerdy muscle that I have Mm. on food and nutrition. And it was sort of in a roundabout way that I found um, this topic of environmental health. And this was, you know, going on 15 years ago now. And at that time, like there were certainly mountains of, of published research on this topic. At that time, there's already, you know, a couple decades of worth of research in this space. But within the wellness space, within the practitioner community, um, there was no discussion of environmental health that I could see at that time. And that really struck me as a enormous Gap and enormous missed opportunity for people to um, who are already working with individuals on their health, on optimizing their health, addressing you know their thyroid issues or their weight issues or whatever, to say here's another tool that you can use to help them because it turns out so many of these environmental exposures are being linked either directly or indirectly. To so many of these chronic health issues, metabolic issues, you know, blood sugar imbalance, insulin resistance, diabetes, obesity, fertility, developmental issues, thyroid uh, disease, autoimmune disease, like you name a condition and um, there is some environmental exposure that has, uh, you know, published research indicating some degree of association. And so that was really where I was, I just felt really pulled to do this work. So that's sort of the, the boring story. The interesting story, at least for me, is um, so two things. One, my dad, for the last 25 plus years, has actually worked as an independent consultant in the nonstick coating industry. So I've learned a lot about nonstick coatings and PTFE coatings from when I was like 10 years old. And when I was in college, long before any of this health stuff was really, really on my radar professionally, I was sending articles about nonstick chemicals and cookware to my dad, who was then forwarding them to the CEOs of these companies, being like, what did you know about this? My daughter sent this to me. Um, (laughs) And then um, about five years ago, um, I went back to my childhood home my dad's 80th birthday went back you know you go back to your parents old house and you poke around in your old bedroom to all the stuff that is still there because you don't care about it enough to take it with you when you move like all is the- it
0: lead paint are you going to talk about lead no, paint no no
1: but I, so i found <laughs> so i found this I actually have it in my garage somewhere i found this little box of index cards that was the bibliography of a paper that i wrote in in high school because mm-hmm. that was in the 90s when we actually had to do our bibliographies in an index card form. (laughs) Um, And I just randomly pulled out this index card out of maybe 80 or 90 index cards in the box. And there was, it was a quote from a paper on vegetarian or veganism that I was writing at the time. And the quote just said um, something that like, you know, more and more people are turning to a vegetarian diet because of all the toxic chemicals in the environment. And Mm -hmm. I was like, was in 1992 Mm. that was a long time ago and so clearly there was some pull that has something in this topic has kind of been in my in my sphere since I was a kid and it's I don't know how I just ended up here but I ended up here and I feel like it was meant to be
0: that's awesome yeah Yeah. that's super interesting
1: it was just a weird moment where I was Sitting on the edge of my bed, looking at this index card alone in my be- childhood bedroom going, what?
0: It's like your past self. It was just like, a,
1: Yeah, it was yeah. just a really surreal moment. I actually have a photo of that index card somewhere deep in the bowels of my That's great. Yeah, because I I was like, this is wild to me. This is wild.
0: That's super cool. Yeah, I actually can appreciate that. As you were telling this story, I wrote down a question. Are people into this? Like I can imagine there at least was, if not still is a lot of resistance to learning about this. I, I can tell, I don't want to stereotype an older generation, but I imagine older generations like, well, this is the way we did it. And I came out fine. Yes. And you know, right. Do you deal yeah, with that? I
1: mean, it is so look, there's all, it doesn't matter what the topic is, whether it's about nutrition or fitness or environmental health, there are always going to be people who just don't care. Right. They're like, I got other things to worry about. That's not one of them. Meanwhile, they probably have some type of chronic illness because most people at this stage in society do have something deal that they're dealing with gout or metabolic issues or insomnia, whatever. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I think there's always going to be a subset of people who like just don't care or they don't know how, how why they should care. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also um, a lot of people who really think of this in a very abstract terms, because it is, it, frankly, it is abstract, right? Like these are not um, insults and uh, to our bodies that we can see or feel in the immediate short term. So, um, and, and I'll come back to your question because I just want to circle back around that point, is that, you know, when we're talking about environmental chemical exposures, Unless we're talking about occupational exposures, or um, you know, people who are working, uh, uh, or you know, working directly with chemicals, chemists, for example, that would still be an occupational exposure. Um, what were those are large acute exposures, right? you're exposed to a high volume of certain chemical, and maybe you, um, you know, break out in hide. or so there's vomiting, or there's some acute reaction that requires a trip to the emergency room, or maybe that acute reaction is death, right? Like that can happen. That's not what we're talking about here when we're talking about chronic low level of exposure to environmental chemicals, like we're getting in our shampoo and our cleaning products and our food that we eat and the furniture that we sit on like these are not exposures that in and of themselves are going to result in any noticeable measurable health effect immediately so in that sense it's very abstract so what we're looking at is this long-term exposure to a little bit of chemicals every single day ongoing and because that is the reality of what we experience as humans and so because there is typically not this acute immediate reaction that's like ooh, that's bad it's a very abstract concept for people to wrap their heads around that these things like no one's going to look at their shampoo and be like what do you mean my shampoo's making me fat they are like no that's no but there's chemicals in your shampoo and in your laundry detergent and your dish soap and your body lotion and your deodorant and your makeup and your shaving cream and all the other places it's the same chemical that shows up in you know Two different, two dozen different places, and those chemicals are linked to metabolic disruptions that can lead to weight gain. And so, is that one product responsible? No, it is collectively all of these products, all of these exposures that um, are more likely to be the cause of these chronic uh, things that we're dealing with. So, it's an abstract concept people to wrap their heads around. And that's why we have people who say things like, well, but I've been using these things my whole life and I'm fine. Mm -hmm. And to that response, I usually say, well, what do you mean when you say fine? Because like most people aren't fine. Most people are on, you know, multiple medications. Most people are dealing with chronic health issues. So what do you mean by fine? Do you mean not dying? Mm -hmm. Or do you mean I'm in the most optimal health of my whole life and I feel amazing and I sleep well and my skin's great and I have all this energy and I think clearly name a dozen people name five people in your immediate, you know, bubble that are like, yes, I have absolutely no health issues whatsoever. I'm in perfect health. Nothing bothers me. So I think when people come with that, I've been using these things my whole life and I'm fine. They have a very um, s- sort of altered definition of what they mean by fine, right? So I'm always, I, I'm always a like, rule well, let's, let's define what you mean by fine first. Mm-hmm. Are you actually fine? Because most people aren't. And if somebody is fine, then great, you're fine right now. And I'm not, I don't say this as, as a, as a, uh, with any intention of like it being a threat. But sometimes the the latency period from exposure to symptom manifestation can be 20 or 30 years, which is why it's hard to kind of pin the tail on the donkey and -hmm. say that thing that made me sick, or it was that thing that made me sick, because we got to look through our entire lifetimes. It's referred to as our exposome, the entirety of everything that we're exposed to. It's not just one thing, one time. It's a thousand things, a hundred
0: thousand times. So I want to see if we can kind of boil this down a little bit. When, when we think about diseases and health and I don't know, getting older and inflammation and stuff like that, I think the vast majority, if not basically all of us, think of the foods that we're eating, what we are drinking in genetics, what our parents and family has Mm -hmm. I don't think most people think about their shampoos and oh, deodorants yeah. and stuff. So with that said, in in your perspective, how much of the pie chart, if you will, does that affect how people feel and the diseases? Is it like a big chunk or is it just it's a little really slice? Hard
1: to say it's a really good question I think it's really hard to say so I will say it this way and this is um, unique specifically to um I'll give you two examples so the first one is through the lens of cancer so when we're looking specifically at cancer only five one percent to five percent of cancers have a genetic component The rest are environmental and environmental in this context doesn't mean environmental chemicals. It means, do you smoke? What do you, what do you eat? What's your lifestyle? What's your stress? What's your childhood experiences? Did you have, do you have a high ACE score? Those adverse childhood um, events score? Do you have a lot of trauma? Like there's lots of things in that uh, sort of matrix that lead to cancer 95 percent, 90 to 95 percent or 90, 90 roughly 95 percent of cancer is not genetic, right? And so it's everything else, right? That's that's a big pie, right? That's a big slice of the pie, everything else. It's a lot lot of variables there to control for. Um, the other expression, and this goes, goes, speaks directly to genetics, and this is not just about cancer. Um, I don't love this analogy. I'm trying to find a better, um, this is the expression that's used, is that the envir- um, your genetics uh, loads the gun and the environment pulls the trigger. In a gun-happy culture, I would love to find a less um, gun-centric <laughs> analogy to use. I don't like it, but it is. it gets the point across. Um, anyway, that analogy is basically saying, look, your genetics um, aren't a aren't carved in stone, um, meaning you might have a family history of Parkinson's or cancer or some autoimmune disease, right? These are uh, very commonly found in uh, family histories. Just because somebody has that genetic history does not mean that those genes that they have for those diseases will manifest and they will absolutely get those conditions. The likelihood is there, right? There is a a higher disposition or or predisposition for them to develop those conditions. But we also know from research that we can actually pull our finger slowly off that trigger Mm. by altering our diet and our lifestyle. Um, So when we're talking about genetics, we have our DNA, which is fixed, and then we have our epigenetics, and their epigenetics are sort of what give our genetics marching orders. It tells genes to express or don't express. And while we don't have absolute control over our epigenome, there is a, so much that we can do to positively influence our epigenetics so that we turn off the genes associated with disease. Mm. And so we do that by managing our stress, by meditating, by getting really good sleep, by eating really good nutrient-dense food, by not abusing, you know, cigarettes and alcohol and drugs. Um, there's so many different things that affect that epigenome. And there's some really, really fascinating research in the field of epigenetics that looks at historical events like the Holocaust and says, what, what happens to the offspring of people who lived through this incredibly stressful period. Stress is one of those things and trauma that can negatively impact our epigenome. And so there's, and there's multiple um, sort of, sort of uh, groups that have been studied. It's not just the Holocaust. This, you know, there's um, uh, in World War II, there's the Dutch famine study that was looking at people who um, experienced a period of starvation. Because the food routes um, into that part of Europe were closed off towards the end of World War II, and so people were starving. And then they got food, and they happened to take really meticulous records of, you know, their population. And so there was this really robust pile of data that people could sift through and go, "What happened to the children of people that experienced that?" Mm. And so there's like there's. So there's, I cannot remember his name. There's a brilliant researcher who studies epigenetics and environmental exposures in rodent studies. Is it David Sinclair? No. Um, uh, I think he is French. Um, And he refers to epigenetics as the science of hope, which I thought was Mm. such a great way to phrase it. And so we know from epigenetic research that if we can lower exposures to certain chemicals, or optimize nutrition, or optimize stress, uh, uh, stress management, or optimize sleep, that we can actually positively influence the expression of of genes that might otherwise manifest in disease. Wow, this is like really cool. It's just really this is really fascinating.
0: It's, fascinating. it's
1: empowering, right? And so I think so much of the conversation around environmental toxicity and these negative health effects is very disempowering because what are we doing? We're up against You know, society and I should say the marketplace, consumer marketplace, doesn't make it easy for consumers to make the best choice possible because Mm -hmm. the best choice possible is rarely presented to them as an option on the shelf. Mm -hmm. And so this is really disempowering. And so I am trying to always look for where is the silver lining? Where is the gold nugget in here that we can kind of grasp onto to pull us through all of this doom and gloom that exists in this space? And epigenetics is one of those kind of gold nuggets that I really like to highlight because it it can be really empowering for people.
0: Wow. I do find that stuff fascinating. Like I brought up David Sinclair, there's Dr. Atiyah, Matthew Huberman, Aubrey de Grey. Like I listen to a lot of those guys. I think they're fascinating and the stuff that they're finding out in their research. I mean, I like to apply it to my life when possible. And yeah. just to hit on what you said. I asked a question probably about a month ago, it was a few podcasts back to Rachel Shearer, who is a gut microbiome expert. Yep. And I just kind of, I don't know if it was a question or a set of statement, like, are we like set up to fail here? Like I feel genuinely like we're set up to fail with all of the stuff that's in our foods, especially here in America. Like from what I understand, other countries don't have as much chemicals or I was want to say as much, but perhaps they use like different flours or glutens or whatever, um, and all the marketing is geared towards, or oh, just use sugary cereals for instance, or whatever, right? Like you walk down the aisle and everything's like, all the kids are like, I want this and this and this. And it's just like the worst stuff in the world for you. And all, and we're learning a lot about seed oils and stuff. And a lot of our foods are cooked in seed oils and stuff. Now it's like everywhere you turn, you are almost like set up to be in a failing position. I know it's a general statement. Well, but, but that's, just,
1: that? that's not different from, you know, what I was saying that that um, in the marketplace, we don't have the best options presented to us right, readily. Exactly. So it is hard for consumers. And so what's happening here, at least within the environmental space, um, is as awareness grows. So I've been on, this has been my, my playground for the last 15 years. I've been working professionally, teaching courses on this for 11 years. And so in in that span of time, the landscape has shifted so dramatically about uh, awareness of this topic. So 15 years ago, like, yeah, sure, this dialogue was happening within academia, right? Researchers were publishing papers and researching about this stuff, but it wasn't actually trickling down to consumer awareness. Um, Companies, industries weren't, you know, no one was talking about this stuff. Um, And so now everybody's talking about it. So I remember probably eight or nine years ago, I set up a Google alert to say, hey, Google scholar, tell me, send me an email every time there's new published research that uses the keyword endocrine disruption, because that's a primary sort of um, area of research within environmental chemicals. And I remember at that time, I would get maybe one or two emails a week and each email would have like two or three papers. Now I get a Google Scholar alert every single day hmm. and every single day there's eight to 15 papers in there. There's a lot going on. There is way more research happening. There's way more um, uh, publicity and press in the in, um, media on these topics. We also have had a number of major environmental um, incidents. The Flint, Michigan, lead in the drinking water in Flint, Michigan was one of those things that really sort of um, uh, uh, pulled everybody's attention to this topic. And Flint, Michigan's not even the city that has the wor- had the worst levels of lead. There were hundreds of cities around the United States. That was just such a big, colossal fuck up, if I can say that here, um, uh, that it got made international news, right? It was a big deal. And so that incidents like that put these things in the spotlight. We just had the Ohio train derailment. That also now puts toxic chemicals in the spotlight. Um, All of these, um, we have the big Johnson & Johnson trial with talcum powder uh, and asbestos. That puts that in the news cycles. And so people start becoming more and more aware. And then they start learning about these things and going, oh my God, I had no idea. And becoming more curious and then questioning. Hey, I also used talcum powder for a long time, and hey, I also have ovarian cancer, or hey, I also was—you know—we had the um, uh, lawsuit with Monsanto. Um, I cannot remember the gentleman's name, but he was a high school groundskeeper who developed uh, leukemia, um, and he sued, and you know there was this enormous settlement. And I'll point out that that I can name these lawsuits and name the um, offending company as Monsanto or Johnson & Johnson's, this is actually very rare in this space. Mm-hmm. The reason why those are make headlines is because there is uh, Monsanto is the one company that manufactures uh, the glyphosate-based Roundup herbicide, which is what that groundskeeper was use, using. There's not thousands of companies that are using this, there's one company. Same thing with Johnson & Johnson's talcum powder, they, are the, they own the mines. They own their own minds, So they are the primary company to, to sue. Um, things get way more complicated when you're looking at chemicals that are ubiquitous in manufacturing and product development. Things like phthalates or bisphenols, both which are highly, highly researched, well-established endocrine disrupting compounds. Well, who are you going to sue? They're in every product in your bathroom. They're in every, they're, who are you going to sue, right? So to some extent, I feel like that's probably likely by design. Um, and the product manufacturers and chemical industry know that they, consumers don't have a leg to stand on in those lawsuits. So it gives them the sort of carte blanche to continue to use the, go ahead. If you don't like, if you think these chemicals are harming us, sue us. That's the U.S. That's the US way, that's the American way, right? Like we have tort law, we have a legal system where you can air your grievances. How many individual people are going to have the time and money to go against these large corporations? And who are you gonna sue when (laughs) everyone's using the same chemicals? And so the industries that utilize these chemicals, they know this and they're just like, well, if you think it's so bad, sue us, knowing that no one ever will and if
0: they try they won't win all right so we're going to get there we're we're (laughs) going to get into specifics in in a moment of a household items and what people can do but because you just brought that up um in in instances like a flip michigan or some of these other bigger events do you know if things get better afterwards or do they just disappear off the radar and people forget about what happened and they just kind of go back to what they were doing?
1: Um, I'll say this. It's always a yes. And right. Mm-hmm. Like I almost always don't, I almost never have a yes or no period sentence mm-hmm. uh, response. It's always a yes. And or a no. And so yes. And so have things gotten better in Flint, Michigan? Yes. Is the problem solved? No. Is it still in our news cycle? No. No. Are people still boots on the ground fighting to get this problem solved? Yes. Should that be in the news cycle? Also, yes. Right. And so I think what we're dealing with some to some extent is the the constant onslaught of new stories and and and, you know, oh, well, we have to be up to date with all this, you know, political charade and all of the garbage that's happening in politics right now. It's like, I'm sorry, we have way bigger societal problems Mm. to be dealing with than where politics is putting their effort and energy currently um and so it it just feels um that part feels incredibly frustrating so you know are there um is the the hard work that happens after these situations um publicized no and you know people have thank you very much. Social media have the attention span of a goldfish these Mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. So we don't have the attention span to focus on these things. We just have to move on to the next drama, the next TV show, the next celebrity bungle, like whatever, right? Like it's just, it's complicated. Um, And there's a lot of things vying for our attention. Um, The people that are most invested in seeing a different outcome in these situations, they are still boots on the ground doing that work.
0: Well, hats off to them. This all kind yeah. of reminds me, we don't need to go down this road. It just kind of reminds me too of like big pharma, right? Like they own all the money, they own all the advertisements. You see these commercials every time I freaking put the TV industry. on. It's in know.
1: every, It's it really is in, in every industry. And you know, like the thing is, is I, I, like I said, it's very easy to slide into the defeatist, everything is terrible, everyone sucks, everyone's out to kill us mindset. And I don't like, yeah, it's easy to do that. I don't also think that's productive. Mm-hmm. And so there is a place where we have to go, Yep, yeah, the system sucks. We can, we can talk about how much the system sucks forever, but it, just talking about how much the system sucks isn't going to change the system. Mm-hmm. Right. Like acknowledge that and then move on to what is it that we can actually do that is either going to have a direct impact on me as an individual that might help me in my health situation. Um, and that hopefully that action is also going to have uh, effects elsewhere, a rippling out effect. Um, and, and we have certainly seen that happen in this space where consumers become aware of these environmental exposures and they get mad and they shout and they complain and they take companies to task on social media and they boycott or they do whatever they they do or or it's maybe it's all of the above and companies are going to feel the heat Mm -hmm. from that and they have and they have responded in kind so now you know we have all the big box stores, Target, Walmart, and you know, Walgreens and Costco. they all they're not perfect policies, but they all have some sort of initiative to start addressing certain toxic chemicals in the products that they sell. It usually starts with their store brand products. And then, after a while, it trickles down to the products that they buy for sale on their shelves that are not the, you know, Kirkland brand, but Mm -hmm. the other manufacturers. Um, And and that's happened because consumers have demanded it. And so, you know, as consumers in the United States, um, there's a really great, um, uh, uh, there's a woman named Annie Leonard who wrote this book probably 20 years ago at this point called The Story of Stuff. And it really documents um, everything from the extraction of raw materials to manufacturing to use to disposal the story of our stuff, right? What happens? Where does it go? Where are all the insults along the way? And, um, in that book, uh, and she's since created people google the story of stuff. There's like this really wonderful animated series that she produced that's like you know 10 15 minutes long. Um, highly, it's old at this point, but highly encourage people to check it out. It's like a really digestible easy to digest uh, way to take this information in. Um, and she talks about in this book how our um, our protest muscles, right, have atrophied in America. Mm-hmm. We just don't do that. You know, you look at what's happening in France. I think it's in France where they they're saying, oh, we're gonna raise the retirement age from sixty two right. to sixty four. People are riding in the streets. That would never happen here, right? That would never happen here. And so that muscle for protest has not atrophied in France. The French take that very seriously and it and it works for them. Mm. And here we don't really have that. So we just kind of like, oh, we let everybody steamroll over us, um, including corporations. And we need to use our collective buying power and our voices to steer where companies are gonna go. Why? Because um, at this stage with the totally partisan way that our political system is, passing regulations in any industry that can be in any way protective of human or environmental health is going to happen at an absolute snail's pace, at a glacial pace. We've seen that already. And so we should not be waiting around. like, yes, let's keep put it put it, keep our foot on the gas in terms of, you know, speaking to our local representatives and finding out where they stand on issues of contamination of chemicals and what their local EPA is doing to clean up from X, y, and Z industrial accident of the of the day. Um, so still push on that. Don't take our feet off the gas on that, but we can't wait for um, government policies to change. Really, we need to be vocal with the companies that we spend our money with and be like, Well, if you're not gonna change, I'm gonna go to that, I'm gonna go to your competitor. And then mm-hmm. eventually they're gonna go, shit, we better change.
0: Right. Yeah, the atrophy just kind of remind me of there has been a few, obviously, people riding in the streets and stuff, but I mean that's more for what Black Lives Matter, abortion, yes. gun control, which is yeah. all super serious stuff, right? Yes. And people yeah. probably think. Eh, toxins in my food. Uh, I can deal with that. I'm going to go talk yeah. about, I mean, about, you sure.
1: Know? look, I mean, I remember when, you know, when we had our first, second, third, fourth, whatever it was school shooting of 2023, I did some post on Instagram that like, look, it literally doesn't matter if there's toxins in your personal care products if or, or that are affecting your kids. If your kids aren't going to live through the day because they're mm. school shooters, there are bigger problems, right? That is a bigger problem. Mm. I will never use my platform to say, oh, the exposure to toxic chemicals is a bigger problem than gun control because gun control is like literally is the number one cause of death for children.
0: Is it really? I don't even know that. <laughs> I
1: think, yeah, I think it's the number one cause of death for children. Like it's crazy. Anyway, so like, we, yeah, you know. I was just
0: speaking of the atrophy, because it's just like, yeah, there is atrophy.
1: So here's (laughs) the thing that I think is really complicated, um, is it's really hard for people now, and I understand it, um, to hold um, multiple opinions, including ones that are um, in opposition of each other. Hmm. It's hard for people to say yes, and right? People tend to have very myopic, it's black, it's white, it's yes or no, it's this camp, it's that camp, it's this, you know, it's very, very um, uh, sort of segmented. And there is very limited capacity for people to be able to hold opposing viewpoints and say, yeah, big pharma sucks. And, (laughs) right? Like, and there's more to it. Like, and look, if I get hit by a bus, I want drugs. (laughs) I I don't want an herbal poultice. Right. Like, yes. And and I think that people are losing that capacity to hold um, opposing thoughts at the same time. I think it's a sign of a really healthy, um, uh, uh, you know, mental thought process um, to be able to do that. And I think we're losing that capacity as a as as people as well.
0: I think you're right. I think you're right. But let's let's go ahead and shift. Yeah, let's, let's let's shift onto. <laughs> it's funny how when I when I write you when I wrote you the email saying like I'm gonna invite you onto the show we could talk about this this and this and this but I said let's just have a any. conversation.
1: Yeah, we haven't talked about any of those
0: things. That's I have no clue this is gonna. No, I, I mean that's great. That's the great part about having a conversation. It's also me taking advantage of having an expert like you on and just let's just talk. Well,
1: me not and honest, and thank you because i I appreciate these open-ended conversations so much more than like, let me just run down the list of
2: questions
1: because I think this is what I was saying earlier is there's so many facets to this conversation. There's an endless number of rabbit holes that you can go down, and all of them are important, mm. right? All of them are important. And, you know, climate change is part of that conversation, right? Mm-hmm. You know, It's in and 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 gun control is part of that conversation, politics, (laughs) partisanship, like it's all part of that conversation. You know, I've had um, occasionally when I post something that relates to politics or policy on my social media, I always get people that are like, Oh, you should stick to what you know, and like, this has nothing to do with politics. And I'm like, Excuse me, but no, that's incorrect. 100% of what I do directly relates to politics because it's policy that regulates chemicals or doesn't regulate chemicals in commerce. And so whether those policies are redlining policies that are predominantly putting in in industry and and waste incinerators in predominantly black and brown neighborhoods Mm -hmm. that are increasing their exposure to toxic chemicals while they're living in places where they have limited access to healthy foods because there's food deserts, because large grocery store chains don't want to set up shop in their area. That's all related. Right. So like it is one conversation. It's a, it's a, yeah, there's, there's no (laughs) opportunity to get bored here.
0: Well, that's, yeah. Like I said, let's chat about things that people can actually take action on tomorrow and make a dent in their life. And so what I kind of want to do is go like a full like 360 here of how, how I was introduced to you and it's been a long time since I've wanted to either speak to you or someone like you, I, the process got sped up a little bit. And I think I sent you this in the email a while back was I'm a big chocolate fan. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't buy chocolate very often. Cause I can't keep it in the house. Cause it's not going to be in the house very long. Right. Um, But being a big, I'm really big into nutrition and you know, the benefits of dark chocolate. I want to have dark, dark chocolate occasionally. And I mean, this I finally was like, I'm going to Trader Joe's and I'm going to buy a dark chocolate bar. And I'm eating it. I'm like 80% done. My wife is like Googling. And then
1: you see my post and Laura ruins everything.
0: Yep. And so (laughs) I was like, well, what happened was my wife Googled. I don't know why she Googled this, um, the dark chocolate thing. Oh, I think she saw an article come up about metals. Yeah. And dark chocolate, and the bar that I bought was like one of the worst bars you can buy. I was like, "You gotta be kidding me!" I went and finally bought a chocolate bar, and I bought the wrong the the one with the metals in it. So that's what spurred me to. I was like, "I need to find someone to talk about this, not just about this, but this in general, because Correct. there has to be, and I, there, no, there has to be. There is millions of people that are just buying products every day, using them every day, not having." any idea what harm they can be doing to themselves or the people around them. So I want to dive into this a little bit and we're yeah. going to start in like a zoomed out approach. Sure. Um, what are some things people use daily that have no clue what these chemicals in it are doing to them or, or perhaps more harm or very harmful?
1: Okay. Um, so let me start by saying this. I think this is a, a I'm a huge fan of context. So first of all, everything is a chemical, 100% of everything, unless you exist within the vacuum of space, everything is a chemical, right? Air is chemical, hormones are chemical, everything is comprised of chemicals. And so when we are throwing around the word chemical, mm-hmm. what we are meaning specifically is not any chemical. We're specifically looking at chemicals that are known to or are suspected of causing harm to humans, animals, or or wildlife. And so I say that because there's always people, you know, everything's a chemical, (laughs) hydrogen monoxide, which is water. And you're like, okay, bro, calm down. That's not what I mean. Nice try. (laughs) So I just like to preface that Everything is a chemical. So what we're talking about specifically are chemicals that are, or are suspected to cause harm to humans, animals, or wildlife. And unfortunately that number is enormous. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you ask the question of what are some products that people use every day where those exposures might be happening? Um, We can just do the standard like, okay, well, let's go from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep. The moment you wake up, well, first of all, you've been sleeping all night on a mattress that is potentially has flame retardants, it has adhesives, it has all kinds of volatile organic compounds that are off-gassing. It will off-gas for the life of the product. It doesn't like stop off-gassing two months after you get it. And so your face is pressed up against this. If you've washed your sheets or your clothes that you're wearing in laundry detergents that have fragrances, Tide, gain, whatever, you're using scented dryer sheets. You're adding fragrances. Those fragrances contain chemicals um, or can contain chemicals that are directly linked to hormone disruption, to metabolic disease, to cancers, etc., It's not a lot of the chemical, but it's one of the places those chemicals live and you are spending one third of your life in bed on sheets pressed right up against them, breathing them in all night long. So that's before you even get out of bed. (laughs) You get out of bed, you go to brush your teeth. we are
0: still alive, we are going to be brushing your teeth.
1: Well, we're all still alive, right? (laughs) Like we are all still alive. So that's what I'm saying. None of these individual things are ever going to be the thing that quote unquote kills you, Mm. right? It's just going to nudge you a little bit closer over time, to potential health outcomes. So then you have, okay, then I'm going to brush my teeth. Well, maybe your toothpaste has um, fluoride in it. Fluoride um, is a highly debated uh, topic, although the National Toxicology Program just uh, nine days ago, released a new meta analysis um, uh, uh, paper on fluoride. And they're like, yeah, it's neurotoxic, like it really shouldn't be in our bodies it's mm. not supposed to be there um and so we have potentially fluoride in our toothpaste we might have sodium lauryl sulfate in our tooth- toothpaste which is the thing that makes your toothpaste foam in your mouth and that's not toxic in and of itself but it yes <laughs>
0: so as you go through this yeah. let's talk about the alternative so yeah. if i'm not supposed to be using toothpaste or or, or- whatever. Right. Let's, yeah. let's, let's just say the I have a toothpaste. That's that has these in it. What should I do as an alternative?
1: Yeah. So just get a different toothpaste and that's easy to say. So, um, this is where every single product is a rabbit hole. So one, um, uh, fluoride toothpaste, um, I think it's worth avoiding. Um, there's a lot of dental professionals that are moving in that direction and saying it's not necessary. Um, just floss and brush your teeth. Mm-hmm. Ideally, there is some bioactive in the product that's actually helping, as opposed to just a physical abrasive. Where people are like, "I'm going to DIY my own toothpaste," or "I'm going to use a clay based toothpaste." Those are going to be um, abrasives. They're just they're they're doing that job, which is great. We need that but also there should be some bioactive. There's a really great compound that's in uh, newer toothpaste right now called hydroxyapatite. Hydroxyapatite is a mineral. It's actually what your teeth are made out of. So it's a very biocompatible material. Um, uh, Side-by-side studies of hydroxyapatite and fluoride have found hydroxyapatite to be just as good, if not better at preventing dental caries or cavities um, than fluoride, but has none of those Um uh thyroid-based health effects. So if you can, there's plenty of toothpaste out there, Boca, Risewell. Um, there's a couple of other brands out there that use hydroxyapatite instead of fluoride. Try to find those. And if you can't find those, just use an abrasive.
0: Okay. This is honestly go
1: with a fluoride-free toothpaste, right?
0: Yeah, this is great because now we're actually giving people hope of stuff that they can do. And I'm going to do this all And
1: here's the thing. 15 years ago when I started learning about this stuff, these products didn't exist. Yeah. Like they just didn't. And so the marketplace has really exploded with so many products. I can't keep track of them anymore. Mm. Um, of of all the great alternatives. Okay, so then we're brush out of we're brushing our teeth. We're gonna go get in the shower. Then we're looking at our shampoos, our conditioners, our body washes, shaving creams, whatever else people are doing in the shower. Um and those are also a source of exposure to synthetic fragrance compounds, the um, phthalate chemicals that are often used in those fragrances. So if you think about um, if you wash your hair at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning and it's seven o'clock at night, you can still smell your shampoo and your hair. Um, it's because there is a chemical called a phthalate, which acts as a fixative for the fragrance, but it also helps to coat your hair to keep that fra- those fragrance molecules present. Mm. Right. And so you see these um, in laundry products. This is why, you know, your f- um, fragrance release beads, right. Oh, it makes the scent last so much longer. That's the selling point. That's the marketing angle. The way they do that is by adding phthalates in that keep those fragrances from naturally volatizing out.
0: Is it, any, is it anything with a scent is most likely harmful?
1: So um, it's not quite that simple. Um, so fragrance, when you're looking at a product and you see the word fragrance, that is a catch-all term um, where it's, think about it this way. If you go buy uh, chocolate chip cookies and you go look at the food label, and the ingredients will say flour, sugar, butter, eggs, Chocolate chips, in parentheses, the ingredients of the chocolate chips, Hmm. right? That's a requirement for food labels. When it comes to non-food labels, there is no parentheses requirement. So fragrance would be the equivalent of chocolate chip, but they don't have to tell you what's in the chocolate chip.
2: They don't have to tell you
1: what's in the fragrance. And that's protected as a trade secret because that's their signature scent. What Mm -hmm. do you do when you look at a new product on on the shelf? You pop open the lid and you smell it. That's the thing that often convinces people. It's the only thing that you can measure, quote unquote, when you're at a store buying a new product. You can't look at a shampoo and go, oh, that's going to make my hair really soft. You don't know until you buy it. But the thing you do know is how it smells. So Mm -hmm. what do you do? You smell a product, right? And so that signature fragrance is, I mean, look at, uh, you're probably similar in age to me, herbal essences, those horrible, like late 90s commercials with a woman in the shower having the orgasm like oh, yeah. <laughs> that stupid ad campaign didn't have anything to do with the efficacy of the product at all they literally made the entire ad campaign about how it smelled and then used sex to sell the smell mm-hmm. that was it mm. that was literally it <laughs> and so you know and and there's very good psychological reasons why that happens right the olfactory um, receptors in our, in our brain, where we smell, those are live in the, uh, in our limbic system, which is the oldest and most primitive part of our brains, which is also where memory lives. So that's why you can, you know, I, I can smell something to this day and be like, oh my God, that smells like cabbage patch kids from the 19th <laughs> Right. Like I can smell something because that's such a strong association. Right. And so, um, uh, there's been studies where, um, in casinos, they will pump, uh, the smell of like vanilla, which mm. is a universally appealing scent. And they'll pump that into the air in a casino and people will spend more money. So there's all this psychology behind it, right? Mm. It's not just like, ooh, it smells nice. It's like, no, there's a lot of money spent. And so companies want to protect that fragrance because that's their trade secret. That's their signature scent. That's their differentiator on the store shelf.
0: Well, I'm seeing that's it the- just... If it has a fragrance, might want to stay away. That's what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's <laughs> one of those things I refer to as a hot word. Like, if you see that word on the label, um, you don't. So there's two things. So there's lot there's uh, you know, over three thousand different um, compounds. Not all of them are problematic, not even in the least, um, that are used to formulate that scent. So it's basically people can go to a scent library and go, I want this one, that one, this one. Mix them together. That's the scent. And they have a library of like. Over three thousand compounds. Now, those compounds in and of themselves can be respiratory irritants. They can be allergens for some people. So, the state of California, um, I think it was last year, published the um, Fragrance Right to Know Act. I think there, it's a little. The name full name is a little bit longer than that. And in California, they're going. If you have these compounds, if you have fragrance in your product. You legally now have to disclose what that library, what, what from the library you used to make that scent because people have allergies Mm. and they need to know, you know what, I'm allergic to lidalool, but I'm not allergic to, you know, limonene compound. Mm. And they need to be able to see those and see what's in the chocolate chip, so to speak to say, I'm allergic to that. I can't use this. That's only happening in California. Now, Mm -hmm. eventually, we are going to see that happening nationwide, hopefully, because California is the largest market in this country, and product manufacturers are not going to manufacture one set of products for California that discloses this information and another set for everybody else. So it becomes the de facto standard across the country when California passes laws like that. So that benefits everybody. Um, So on the one hand, sometimes the compounds just that make up that fragrance can be allergenic or irritants um, for certain individuals. Then there are these phthalate compounds that are added to the fragrance mixture to make that fragrance stick. Mm. Right. So sometimes you'll see a fragranced product that says fragrance but it says also says phthalate free okay well maybe that's better it's probably better right i don't know what they're using in place of phthalates maybe they're not using anything in place of phthalates and now your only concern is am i do i have any allergenic or respiratory issues with the fragrance compounds themselves right so as a general rule i would say for consumers to just minimize the use of fragrance products in the home um, because the reality is you don't know if these products are contain, contain phthalates. There's a lot of um, deceptive labeling on consumer products. There's lots nice. of studies that have looked at, hey, we're going to test this product that says it's free of this. Oh, turns out it has that thing, right? And so there's not um, government agencies, there's not really good regulation when it comes to consumer um, cosmetic products or personal care products. Um, the FDA doesn't have very, um, uh, a strong purview over that area. And so they just don't really regulate. They're like, well, it's up to the companies to make sure that their stuff isn't. Super
0: Super good information. And so I'm thinking, okay, so a lot of my shampoos probably have exactly what you said. What should I use instead? Yeah, well, nice.
1: thankfully, like I said, there's dozens and dozens of um, companies now that are are making better products. Um, there's um, apps that you can use. I have a curated list of um, products on my website that kind of if people are just like, I don't want to have to read a label, just tell me what to buy. Awesome. There's, um, you know, hair care and makeup and personal care and cookware, all these different topics. Um, but there's also some really good apps out there. Um, my favorite app is one called Clearia, C-L-E-A-R-Y-A. Um, they are both an app and a browser extension, and they will—they um, work with Amazon, Target, Sephora, um, iHerb, and Walmart nice. on those websites. Wow. And so, if a product is listed on any of those websites, and the product has the ingredient list, Clearia will scan the ingredient list and then say, "Hey, here are the warnings." You decide what you want to do. It's not a rating system. It just highlights the ingredients. Is like, hey, that's a potential allergen. This one is restricted. You know, this one has toxicity issues.
0: Great. That's awesome. I'm going to download that. I'm also going to link. I'm gonna link your website also in the show notes so people can go see that list if they want to. If they're listening to this, they hey, I just want to see that list, so I go to the store. I know what to buy. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna read it <laughs>
1: for sure. And certainly, like I'll say this, you know, the list that I have on my site is not exhaustive, right? Like there's, so, like I said, there's so many products in the marketplace. It's just a, you know, a, a curated sample um, of places that people, uh, products that people can buy. It's not an exhaustive list. I mean, I often get messages from people that are like you list this stainless steel cookware. What about this one? And I'm like, I, there's like 10,000 stainless. I'm not Amazon. So like just get anything that falls under that umbrella is probably going to be okay.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, so we got shampoos down. Next thing yeah. on, on my list would be deodorant. I don't know okay. if it's the same thing on yours
1: same thing. It re- I think it really is. Um, it, we're looking at preservatives like parabens, which are endocrine disrupting, as well as these potential phthalates that might be present in these fragrance mixtures. Those are sort of the <clears throat> the the bigger issues for me. Um, and, uh, you know, so yeah, there's plenty of products out there um, that just don't use... Parabens as preservative, they use other types of preservatives. And like, here's the thing, we do want preservation in our products, because if we don't have preservation in our products, then we're going to end up with bacteria and mold. And we don't want that in our products either. So there is a balance, right? It's a yes. And um, yes, I want preservation. And I would like that preservation to not have toxicity issues. And thankfully, there are preservatives that are um, have way better safety profile that are just as effective. And so hmm. more and more companies are starting to use some of those uh, preservatives, but preservative free when it comes to personal care products um, is not preservative free. It might be great for our food, but um, we do not want that with our products that are supposed to last us, you know, three, six, nine months. Um, Cause we don't want bacteria growing in those.
0: Right. Okay. We'll keep going. Keep going. that. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, um, uh, and, and, uh, let's see, I'm actually going to pause on this journey around the house, right? Okay. Because, um, I think what often happens is as we said earlier, people have a tendency to go totally overwhelmed and go, Holy shit, I can't do any of this. This is mm-hmm. a lot.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, or this is expensive. You're asking me to throw out everything in my bathroom and I were going to buy new stuff. First of all you don't have to throw anything out use what you have and when you have to go buy something new just buy something better right like the expression that i use is it's not what we do uh, once in a while that matters it's what we do every day that counts right so if you do something once in a while if you're going to use that okay no big deal nbd just fix it later Mm -hmm. down the road right this is not a marathon or or sorry so this is not a sprint this is a a long slog right Mm -hmm. to move through this and so to help people make changes that are going to be impactful while minimizing the overwhelm or the fear that like, they're going to have to spend a ton of money to do this. I try to look through the lens of what are the things that are free and easy? Like, let's just do the things that are free and easy first. And so the first one of those that is not only free, but will save people money in the long run is to stop buying home fragrances, hmm. scented candles, plugins, Febreze, reed diffusers, all of these products, um, not only are they constituting a continual source of exposure to hormone disrupting chemicals, right? But they're like, just co- they just cost money for what? Like it's, and they're oftentimes they're masking an unpleasant scent. Like maybe go figure out what smells bad and don't just like put a candle in it. Cause maybe you have a mold. Maybe you got like a dead rat in the wall. I don't know. Uh, I had a so finish. is that, is that
0: public enemy number one, you would say throughout America? I would say
1: practice? it's, it's, it caught. So here's, there's um these chemicals that we bring into our home in the form of things like scented candles or room sprays or whatever. They don't just disappear, right? Like when we burn the candle or we spray the spray, it's not like the molecules just vanish. What happens is they settle in our house dust right? And so house dust is actually a pretty good thumbprint for what are the chemicals that are in your house? Because the flame retardants that off gas from your couch, the formaldehyde that off gases from your drywall, uh, the stain resistant chemicals, those PFAS chemicals that migrate out of your carpeting or your couch, they don't just vanish, they settle in the dust in our our homes. And so a meta-analysis, which is a study of studies, um, looked at All the studies, not all the studies, looked at a large number of study, house dust studies from around the world, and phthalates were found in 100% of samples. (laughs) Why? Because everybody's using these scented products, whether it's the laundry detergent, the shaving cream, the perfume or cologne, the hairspray, all of these products, those chemicals don't just disappear into the ether, right? Those molecules drop onto the floor. And so, Scented home products, Febreze, scented candles, air fresheners, plug-ins, all of those things, they are just air pollutants. You're literally polluting the air inside your home. The United and States- you're inhale it. And then you're inhaling it with every breath that you take, right? The fastest way to get something into your bloodstream, aside from injection, is inhalation. Mm. And so why would we do that? That uh, United States Environmental Protection Agency has found that indoor air can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air. Why? Because we have so many chemicals in our home that are off-gassing, and then we keep our house airtight for energy efficiency, so we close our windows. So that is the number se- uh, number two recommendation, is open your windows. Get that air exchange going. If you live in an old house, old houses were very often um, drafty, right? Like I'm talking homes built in the, you know, 1700s, 1800s, 1900s. Um, we didn't start building homes to be highly energy efficient until the 1970s and 1980s, after the OPEC oil embargo, where we're like, we better save money on heating and cooling costs, and so we're going to insulate, insulate, and seal. And so the problem with that is we don't have good air exchange anymore, and so we want to get fresh air inside and get the air inside our homes out. We do that by opening the windows. Really simple.
0: Super interesting.
1: It's like open your windows. They don't have to be open all the time, at least once a day or every other day. If it's in the winter, crack your windows for 10 or 15 minutes and then close them back up. Right. It's not a big deal, but it can help tremendously to improve overall indoor air quality. So ditch the scented products, open your windows Take off your shoes when you come inside. This is not just about keeping your house clean. We do track all kinds of pesticides and heavy metals and pollutants from the road. Um, And if people certainly are spraying pesticides on their lawns or in a park, and we track that into our homes. And similarly, like, they don't just go away. They actually get, if you have carpet in your home, especially, they get stuck in those carpet fibers. This matters most for people that have babies that are doing what? Crawling around on the floor. Oh,
0: wow, yeah.
1: And then sticking their hands in their mouths. And so babies often have higher burden of these chemicals in their bodies than the parents that live in the same house. And some of that is due to the fact that babies have they interact with the world differently than adults do. They crawl around on the floor. They put everything in their mouths, and then they don't have fully developed detoxification capacity. They have pound for pound, more skin. They drink more water. They breathe more air pound for pound than adults. And so they're just a little concentrated. They just have so much more exposure. So like these things matter particularly for anybody that is planning on having children is pregnant, has children period.
0: I don't want to get away from where you're going because this is like the meat of what I've been yeah. hoping for. Um, but I will go ahead and make the announcement. My wife and I are going to try to start having a family. I was saying yeah, in a few sure. months, there is no major announcement for anybody listening to this. Yeah. there is no announcement. So
1: well, now is uh, now is the time.
0: So okay, so knowing that she wants to. Start trying in the next few months. Are there like a couple, just a couple of key things you got to focus on, this or change this or look into doing this? Um,
1: you know, it's the the answer is yes. Do all the things, yes. Yeah. Um, the, it's the it's literally the most important um window of time to be addressing these exposures. Um, no detox protocols, no, anything that's going to pull toxic chemicals out of the body. A lot of people are like, I do to do a detox. Nope. Not anywhere near conception, right? So you don't want to be pulling stored chemicals out of the body and have them circulating through the body during a period of conception. So you want whatever's in the body to kind of stay quiet Leave it alone. It's like asbestos. Just don't touch it. Um, and then it's really just doing everything possible to both minimize exposures and then maximize detox natural innate detox detoxification, which means all the fruits and vegetables, all the nutrient-dense foods, keep it organic, um, making sure everyone's pooping and peeing, right? That's <laughs> our exit out of the body. That is our phase three detoxification. Um, and and really just making making sure that those systems are working to the highest to their highest capacity and then just the rest is minimizing.
0: OK, yeah. So you said organic
1: Yeah, organic fruits. food, organic food filtering, drinking water is a really good idea. Um, You know, drinking water is not there's hundreds and hundreds of chemicals. There's been over 300 chemicals measured measured in um, tap water. Um, everybody's tap water situation is different. There's no yeah. one, like everybody's situation is different. Um, your situation might even be different from the house across the street from you, depending on the age of your home and whether or not that home has lead pipes, right? So like literally everyone's water is different. And is there so-
0: a, Is there a filter you would recommend or anything? No,
1: there's not mm-hmm. because everyone's water is different. <laughs> and there is no one- Like, look, I'd probably make a lot of money if I was like going to be an affiliate for some water filter company, but like, I can't do that because it's not an integrity for me to Mm -hmm. be able to say, oh, everybody go get this filter because look, not every, I don't know what contaminants, if you have radioactive contaminants, if you have arsenic in your water, if you have fluoride in your water, those are things that like most filters aren't going to take out. And similarly, like, I'm not going to tell it, like, so reverse osmosis is a type of water filtration system that gets the most contaminants out, but reverse osmosis has its downsides, including that it wastes water. Mm. So you live in Arizona. I live in New Mexico. These are drought prone regions of the world. I am not going to waste two gallons of water for every one gallon I drink, which is often what happens with reverse osmosis.
0: I'm in North Carolina, in case. Oh, you in listening. North Carolina, right, <laughs> Yeah, I'm right. in Arizona, actually, so we were, were talking before. Yes, you were Just in, in case Arizona. someone heard that, like, he moved? Yes. Uh, no. But, but either yeah.
1: way, you know, depending on uh-huh. where you are in North Carolina, you're going to have other industrial chemicals, yeah. you know, that are, might be in the water. And so uh, there is no single type of filtration system. Okay. Um, it would be irresponsible for me to be like, "Oh, everybody go out and get reverse osmosis because it's wasteful and some people can't afford it." And then it might be overkill for a tremendous number of people. I so appreciate that. It's find out what's in your water first. You can test. There's companies um, that offer that. The company that I recommend um, that people use because it's so easy is Tap Score, uh-huh. um, and because they are looking not at the EPA guidelines for chemical contaminants they're actually looking at the published literature on where um the epidemiologists and health uh, researchers really feel the threshold for safety is
0: awesome yeah i love that yeah just give us tools and you know it's up to us to use them so tap yeah. Score. I'll, yeah i'll definitely so, do that i mean
1: again like the free and easy is like just start with those things um and then and then you the rest is you just sort of a systematic process of saying okay well what can I look at today is it food is it packaged food is it canned food right so canned food for example um is a staple for millions of people you know I have a couple canned items in my kitchen I don't have a ton but I have a couple because yeah you know what I don't love making beans from scratch (laughs) I just don't do I don't love it um but you know the lining of those cans are um made with uh, bisphenol chemicals, bisphenol chemicals are endocrine disruptors. Mm. <clears throat> we know that those leach into the food, the more acidic, the food, the more leaching is going to be present. So the more bisphenols are going to be in that food. So tomato based soups, canned tomatoes have a higher level of acidity than say a canned bean. So that's an area. Another thing that I would put on the free and easy list is, um, really simple is, Uh, Declining cash register receipts, unless you absolutely need it for like tax purposes, you don't need, you don't need the receipt for the lunch that you just ate. You don't need the receipt for the $2 pack of gum from the grocery store, right? We don't need the receipts. The reason why we want to decline those cash register receipts is thermal paper, meaning thermal paper uses heat for ink. There's no actual ink in the receipt printer. Um, It If you close your eyes and I give you a regular piece of paper and a piece of thermal paper, aside from the thinness of the thermal paper, it has a different, has a powdery Mm -hmm. feel to it. That powder is bisphenol chemicals. It's just free floating. That's what's used as a developer on those thermal inks. And so studies have shown that handling cash register receipts um, leads to a spike of bisphenols In the body because we can absorb it through the skin on our fingers. Then what?
0: This is um, amazing.
1: What happens when we go to the grocery store and we're like, "Oh, mm, can you leave that snack at the like? Can you leave that snack out of the bag because I'm gonna I'm gonna eat that in the car?" I did
0: that last night. Yep.
1: Yep. That's what you do. And so what do you do? You take your receipt, you put it in your wallet next to your money, right? Or shove it in the bag. Then you go Uh, in the car and you and you and then you're eating things. So now you have a hand to mouth transfer of these bisphenol residues that are on your fingers. So who does this matter most for? The person who works at the grocery store or at the retail establishment that's handling receipts all day, every day. Mm -hmm. Those people should be wearing gloves or at least finger cots, which are just those little like fingertip gloves um, so that they're not physically touching the receipt all day, every day.
0: And they have no idea. I had no idea.
1: Yeah. So that's one of those things where it's like, okay, that constitutes a meaningful exposure. Again, particularly for the person who is occupationally exposed, they have a higher level of exposure than somebody who's not handling those receipts all day. This is not just for cash register receipts. It's anything with a thermal uh, print. So baggage tags at the airport, your ticket, when you go to the airport, those are all thermal printed, right? So, you know, movie tickets all these tickets right they're thermal because there's no ink so it's cheaper because you don't have oh the machine ran out of ink i gotta go order new ink Hmm. right it's a whole different type of printing printing system that you know yeah it saves it saves some money because you don't have to keep buying this you know um uh uh refill right so everybody's gonna switch to that model
0: Okay. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but actually I do, but I don't. The same yeah, it, I do.
1: uh, yeah, we're good. I got like another 10 minutes and then okay,
0: it, okay. Then we'll so, just,
1: I'll just come back.
0: Oh, yes, please come back. Um, you are an encyclopedia of information. So one thing I wanted to touch on was people storing their food in plastic containers. Yeah. Um, uh, from what I've understood in the last decade or so, that's a huge no-no. Is it really like that big of a deal? I've Since switched to glass, I'm all glass, which I think you promote. Yeah, can you touch on that?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so here's here's one of the things. Again, this is when you look at a microwavable plastic container, any kind of container, and what do you and you turn it over? What does it say in the bottom? Microwave microwave safe. What does that mean? What does microwave safe? I don't know. It means that the plastic won't catch fire. That's all that means. It does not mean it is safe for us for our food it just means it's not going to catch on fire. It's not gonna melt or catch on fire. So it's the plastic is safe, quote unquote, air quotes, to go in the microwave in that it's not gonna cause an immediate emergency. Hmm. Um, But when we, so there are a number of things that can increase the migration of chemicals from materials in particular plastic. Heat, oil, acidity, abrasion, and time. So these are the five things that can ramp up the migration of chemicals. So the problem with a lot of these chemicals. So first of all, plastic is not just there's dozens of different types of plastics. Um, The unique formulation of any given plastic is proprietary. It's this is my company's formula. This is how we make our plastic. I'm not telling anybody what's in it. And so what we have, since we don't know the ingredients that go into making any particular plastic, is we have what's known as the resin identification code, which is that little number inside those chasing arrows, quote unquote, recycling symbol on the bottom of our plastic. First of all, that symbol was developed by the plastics industry has nothing to do with whether or not that plastic is recyclable nothing to do with that. Most of those plastics are actually not recycl- recyclable. That was developed by the plastics industry to take the burden off of plastic waste off of their shoulders and put it on the consumer and say, oh, we've given you these re- recycle it. It's not our problem. It's your problem. If you don't, if there's waste on the side of our roads, it's not because of us. It's because you didn't. It's really bad. Anyway, so <laughs> those resin identification codes tell us a little bit roughly of what type of category those plastics fall Mm. into. Mm. And if there's one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven, those are the numbers. Not every type of plastic is gonna have that stamp. It's really only gonna be on food plastics. So if you buy a plastic sled to go sledding, there's no tracing, a chasing arrow symbol on there. It's really just mostly for food uh, food products. Mm. And um, there is, uh, all of the plastics have some issue. But the chemicals that are used to make the different plastics have different qualities, right? So number one plastic is polyethylene terephthalate, which is your pull spring water bottle. It's your single-use, reusable water bottle, a lot of food packaging, like a ketchup bottle or a mayo jar, like that's a peanut butter jar, that's going to be a PET plastic, Um, And then you've got a couple of other other different types of plastics. Styrofoam is a type of plastic that's number six, polystyrene. Mm. So each one of these has different composition and has different issues. Styrofoam leaches styrene, which is a uh, suspected carcinogen. So we don't want our food on styrofoam. We don't want to get takeout food and have them put our hot, greasy food in styrofoam, because that's going to increase the migration of those chemicals. The chemicals that are used in plastics are not tightly bound to the matrix of the material. So glass, fully tightly bound matrix, which means glass doesn't absorb smells, odors, you can't stain it, it's a very tight molecular structure. Plastic doesn't have that, it has a looser molecular structure. And so chemical additives like bisphenols that might make the plastic rigid and hard or phthalates that might make the plastic soft and flexible like a ketchup bottle um they can migrate out they just fall out over time right they just the molecules just come out and heat oil acidity abrasion and time are the five things that influence or can increase that migration so when we put food in the microwave we're doing what we're heating it Mm. heating that plastic that is One of the things that increases the migration of those chemicals. What if what you put inside that plastic container is the spaghetti and meatballs from last night's dinner? So now you have heat. You also have acidity from the tomatoes, and there's probably oil in there from the tomato sauce. Everybody has had at some point in their life that plastic Tupperware container that was stained orange because once upon a time somebody. (laughs) Yep. And then it is forever stained orange yep. and no matter how many times you run it through the dishwasher, by the way, that's heat and abrasion, right? So don't put plastics in the dishwasher either. Um, the reason why that happens is no matter how many times you try to clean it, it's forever stained orange is because the physical barrier between where the plastic stops and the lycopene stained oil from the tomatoes ends gets blurred. And so what ends up happening is you get these molecules of fat that now are stained with a lycopene molecule, which is the red color from the tomatoes, physically embedded into the matrix of the plastic, which is why you can't wash it off because it's not on the plastic. It's in the plastic.
0: Oh my God. Right?
1: So the inverse of that is now you have plastic molecules in your sauce. They did a trade.
0: Oh, right. I've and been so- there. I've been there. <laughs> yeah. We all have. Yeah, we've
1: all been there. I mean, I uh, Yeah. And so this is why we don't put plastic in the microwave, right? That is why. It just increases the leaching of chemicals to your food. And obviously, you can have a brand new Tupperware container, put your pasta sauce in it, stick it in the fridge. That's still going to happen, probably because the sauce was what? Hot when it went into the container.
0: Wow. (laughs) These little tips and nuggets are... So store your
1: food in glass, store your food in glass. If you can't go out and buy, you know, new glass containers, they're readily available everywhere. Mason jars. Most of my drinking glasses are (sighs) Mason jars, um, are really inexpensive. If you can't have these reuse your glass pickle jar, your glass tomato sauce jar for storing leftovers. Um, yeah.
0: Um. Okay. So I'm gonna hold you for one more one yeah, more question. That's if fine. I get it out of you. I
1: love this stuff. I mean, you know, if I didn't have other stuff I on my plate today, uh, good, I good. literally could talk about this for five good.
0: hours. Excellent. well So could I. Um. One's a funny question. One, if so, when if, when you get takeout and they bring it out in a styrofoam, do you send it back?
1: <laughs> so um, no.
0: <laughs> you want if to? If that
1: happens, I won't go back to that restaurant. Okay. Or I'll bring my own container. Like I know that. Like that just happened to me last week. My next door neighbor was like, "Oh my god, there's this incredible Thai restaurant downtown. You have to go. It's so good." And I almost paused at the door because, and I think this was probably a residual from COVID. They're like, "Yeah." So this restaurant uses paper plates and plastic wow. utensils, and I was kind of like, hmm, "That's." sucks that really sucks um and i ordered something to eat in and i ordered something to go and the thing came in styrofoam and i was like
0: oh god i was here's the thing i can appreciate you actually saying that because it's like you practice what you preach right it's not like i'm just putting this out there but i'm gonna do it anyways you know so and i appreciate and,
1: you, you know that. we do our best like i still ate the food right in the restaurant right this is a. a, a I recognize that there are layers to it's not helpful for me to um you know kick the small local business owner who's just doing their best to survive post right. covid yeah, post-COVID, yeah. Mm-hmm. right um this is a minority owned restaurant i would like to support their business i am not going to berate him for you're using single use plastic plates and my drinking water came in a styrofoam cup and like time and place, right? Mm. Um, am I going to go back to that restaurant? Probably not, to be honest. Mm. Um, but I'm not going to r- rake him over the coals. Right. Um, you know, in some cities, styrofoam has been banned and people are only allowed to use paperboard um, compostable food packaging. Mm. That has not yet made it to the city in which I live. Um, that is something that, like I, as a consumer and as a as a constituent in this community, can at least get, gauge the temperature of, like, hey, where is Albuquerque, New Mexico, on its environmental on the environmental forefront? Well, we have a long way to go, right? And so, um, you know, we do our best. But yeah, I mean, if I get food in a styrofoam container, like maybe I'll won't eat the the bottom layer of the food. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't love it, but I'm also not, um, I'm not, it's not like it's hot lava, right? Like, Oh my God, I can't touch that. Right. So there is a balance. And I think that as everybody steps into this conversation or whoever steps into this conversation, the biggest challenge that people experience is not going to be not being able to find products or not even being able to afford products. It's going to be learning to balance their anxiety and the Mm -hmm. overwhelm of knowing too much, not knowing enough, meaning not knowing where to put something on the scale of this is more important than that, Mm -hmm. right? School shootings more important than styrofoam potential, Mm -hmm. right? And so it requires people to have a greater depth of information. And thankfully, a lot of that information is out there for people to learn. Um, My goal in my work is to help health professionals and health educators understand these topics with a greater sense of or greater depth so that they can be the ones to educate consumers and their clients and their patients and people who are hungry for this information because I'm only one person, right? Like I can't help everybody understand this, but if I can get more health educators, more health professionals to become fluent in this. And we have organizations, you know, the American college of uh, gynecology and obstetrics is like, yeah, we need more people in this field who are fluent in environmental medicine desperately, because these are major problems. And this, the audience that they work with, right. Pregnant women, Um, during preconception, pregnancy, postpartum, small children, like that window is the most sensitive to these exposures. And so, yeah, we need more people that have fluency to share both evidence-based information and share it in a really balanced way, because there's also a ton of sensationalism and fear-mongering that happens in this conversation. Mm -hmm. And that's something that like I actively work with my students on avoiding because it doesn't help us. We are all already stressed to the max. We are all already information overloaded. We do not need more things to be scared about, but we do, however, need somebody to go, okay, that's not the best choice. Here's a better choice. Do the best. Very well
0: can. said. Very well said. I think we can use something like that like every day in our lives for so yes. many of our decisions. And before, before I let you go, I did want to hit on one thing So I think this is yeah. important. And I heard this because my mom said this recently and she said, I forget what it was. She goes, this is BPA free. So it's okay. Yeah. I, I'm just going to leave it there. So
1: that's Yeah. Uh, do you want me to answer that?
0: Yes, I do. Well, okay. yeah. but I, I just have, I, I won't say it's a question, but that's a comment that I heard and comment. I don't necessarily yes. think that's correct.
1: So it's like everything else. It's a yes. And yeah. BPA is not good. We want to avoid it. Um, what happens for a lot of, so there's a lot of um deceptive marketing that happens out in the world. Uh, where manufacturers are aware, said this earlier, consumers are getting more vocal. They're demanding, hey, I'm learning about chemical X. It's bad, I don't want it. Companies are going, okay, okay, I hear you. I hear you, I got you, don't worry. I'll take that chemical out. See, it's all good. Now, because I went to this extra effort to take this chemical out, this offensive chemical, I'm gonna charge you 50 cents more for that. Right. Mm -hmm. So now you have these higher priced items that are labeled BPA free, phthalate free, PTFE free, PFOA free, PFOS free, fill in the blank chemical free. What they don't tell you, because they don't have to, because transparency in these types of industries is not required legally, they don't have to tell you what's in their products. And so bisphenol A, BPA, is one chemical in a family of chemicals. Uh, There are sister chemicals to bisphenol A that are nearly identical, BPS, BPF, Um, and they're newer, but research into BPS and BPF and these alternatives have found that they're just as bad, if not worse, than BPA. And so in this space, we refer to these as regrettable substitutions. We have made a substitution that, god dang, we are going to come to regret that decision. And that has happened time and time again so earlier i was talking about bpa and cash register receipts well because of people getting all in a tizzy about bpa it's one of the most researched chemicals in commerce companies started saying okay okay we're gonna have bpa thermal paper so bpa and thermal paper dropped by like 80 or 90 percent in the last few years what did it get replaced by bps <laughs> so <laughs> This is, yeah, so it's very frustrating. And what happens is you have companies that are banking on the ignorance of consumers.
0: There's a lot of that going around. There is a lot of
1: that. (laughs) Definitely a lot of that. And so, for example, um, Ziploc bags. Mm. You can go to the store and find Ziploc bags that say BPA free. Well, great. Guess what? Ziploc bags never, ever, ever had BPA ever. Why? Because BPA is a plasticizer that's used to make plastic rigid and hard, like the bowl of a food processor or a Vitamix blender.
0: What the, are you serious? Like it was never even in it?
1: It's never there. Um, Similarly, you might see items that are glass labeled BPA free, right? Well, of course it's BPA free. It's glass. Never had BPA. (laughs) Glass is not plastic. It does not need a plasticizer. And so these types of marketing messages are incredibly confusing to people. Um, the logic is, well, I don't know, my consumers don't know what BPA is, but they, if they see BPA-free, they are going to automatically assume that that thing is better and I'm going to spend the next, you know, extra 50 cents, extra dollar, extra $10 on the BPA-free version. Yeah. Now, there's always exceptions to this rule, but like, you know, these these regrettable substitutions, but that's what's happening with The BPA-free, same thing for canned foods. We see canned foods that say BPA-free. Well, what are they using instead? Mm -hmm. Anytime we see any kind of marketing that says something free, phthalate-free, paraben-free, PFOA-free, PTFE, what are you using instead? Because you're probably just swapping it out for another chemical that has a different sound coming out of your mouth, but it does the same thing and it's just as bad.
0: Oh, that makes me so mad! I'm like, yeah, it,
1: it is. It's really infuriating, and people should be mad, right? And yeah. then they should take that anger and do something about it. Be vocal. Get yeah. mad.
0: All right, I'm gonna let you go because okay. gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna go down this this rabbit hole. The, the question I, I don't you don't need to answer this, but the question that comes to my mind is like, are these chemicals even necessary? Like, are these just? If it it is, is a
1: good th- question, so I am gonna answer that. So it is a good question because there is always a benefit. Uh, a risk and benefit analysis that's necessary. And the example that I'll give you is um, babies in the NICU ward. Babies in the NICU ward are absolutely covered in plastic. The incubator that they are in to keep them warm, what kind of plastic is that? It's a hard, rigid plastic made of polycarbonate. What does polycarbonate use? Bisphenols number one. Number two, the IV tubing that they are hooked up to that is literally keeping them alive is a soft plastic. The chemical that's added to make plastic soft are phthalates. There are multiple studies that have shown that babies that require medical intervention, including NICU babies have higher levels of phthalates in their bodies. Those things can alter their immune response. They can alter their gut microbiome. They can alter their hormones during the most critical point in their lives right. and without those plastic tubes and that plastic incubator, they would not live. Mm. Right. So it is, it's a net it's necessary in that instance, right? It is necessary. And can we make those materials without those chemicals? Yes. So there are hospitals, Kaiser Permanente years ago was like, hey, we're gonna move towards phthalate-free IV tubing and blood bags because we know this is a problem, great. We need to get these medical um, materials accessible so that buyers and hospitals know to even buy the phthalate-free version and know that why it's worth spending extra on those materials, right? And so there's always this cost-benefit analysis and that's, I think, the example that I pull out the most you know, we, they're life-saving. And so given those two options of like a potential exposure that might have some implication down the line versus not surviving, if the decision is quite easy, yes, sure. Give them the plastic, do whatever is necessary. And we'll deal with the consequences later if there are any.
0: It is good to know that they can make these without
1: them. At least, yes, they can, you know, whether or not the, the, um, the initiative is there to do that on a broad scale, Mm. um, universally across the board, that's, we're not there yet. Um, But again, this is where we need people to be informed so that we can be loud Mm. and demand change and let it be known. Um, because I think people don't know, I work with a lot of clinicians in my programs and they're like, I don't know any about this stuff.
0: <laughs> no, no one. Yeah. yeah. No one does. So, uh, Laura, I'll, I'll let you go, <laughs> but this has been awesome. Well,
1: come thank back. you come for back. letting me spew I, my, my bad news. I'll
0: come back and spew you <laughs> anytime. Um, I want people to know where to find you and follow you because, Your social media is awesome. Your information that you consistently post is eye-opening. So don't just listen to this and say, oh, that was great. No, follow you because you are posting stuff consistently. So how can people find you?
1: Yeah, so I'm on Instagram at environmentaltoxinsnerd. Y'all can probably figure out why I picked that (laughs) name. Um, And then my website is just my name. It's Laura Adler, L-A-R-A-D-L-E-R.com.
0: And I will link that in the show notes, people. So scroll down, click on it follow you yeah your stuff is awesome like when i was getting ready to prepare for this for this episode i was like damn like how do i narrow any of this down because it's all it's it's all good stuff it's all and it's stuff that we can take and like starting tomorrow we can make a change in our life that could save us down the road and now that you know we're looking to have a child at some point in the next year or so like that's huge that's something i'm really concerned about so Yeah, I'm. I'm super happy we had this conversation. Like, come back anytime because there's there's more to chat about. But yeah, excellent.
1: Anytime.
0: Thank you for being a good sport. I know I'm sure. So all
1: good. It's all good.
0: right. you're the best. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. major thank you for Laura on this episode. As I said, she brings the knowledge. It's knowledge that we all honestly should have. And it's kind of incredible how much we just don't even know about this. We don't even know to ask these questions. Um, So I really do appreciate Laura coming on here and giving the facts. I feel like uh, that's thousands and thousands of dollars worth of information she just gave us on this episode. So I am super appreciative. I'm already taking a lot of these things into effect, uh, all of our tips and advice. So once again, I appreciate it. And thank you for everybody listening to this episode. All my episodes are so important to me, and I think you should share all of them, but especially this one, because this is something that we deal with every day. Everybody's house is crazy. I mean, just think of how many people have like a scented candle in their home, and they don't even know what they're breathing in is toxic. So Once again, thank you for listening to this episode and I will catch you all next time on the next episode.